Hey fellow tennis nerds, for this episode of the Tennis Nerd Podcast, I talk to Paul Skip, a top stringer, the head stringer of Wimbledon, 32 years in stringing, we talk about stringing trends, we talk about various hybrids, we talk about what has happened in stringing technology, how it is to string for players on the Pro Tour, and a lot more of course. I hope you like the podcast, have a nice day, and I hope to talk to you soon. So how are you in these uh, strange times? Uh, yeah, I'm not too bad. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm healthy, which is the important thing. Um, I think that's the best we can ask for at the moment. I'm yeah. not too stressed out about things. Um, and whether it's good or not, I don't know. The weather is good. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. I mean, I'm trying to take it with a positive mindset. I think most of it, that's the only thing you can do, really. I mean, and hope for, for the best. We've been pretty lucky here in Malta so far. We have only had like one case a day now for a couple of days, so it's been pretty good. So things are, are hopefully, knock on wood, looking a bit brighter uh, soon. Are you on any form of lockdown, or are you? Yeah, we are kind of on a on a semi lockdown. I mean, all the restaurants are closed uh, except okay. for you know takeaway and delivery services. You can't go to the, you know, to buy clothes and stuff like that. So it's some kind of lockdown, but you're allowed to go out. Uh, there's no restrictions, except that you can't be more than three unless it's your family. So you're not like allowed to hang out with a lot of strangers on the beach, you know. Okay. Not uh, so. I mean, that sounds sounds pretty reasonable. And if your numbers are low, then that that that's good. Obviously, ours are uh, ours are higher, unfortunately. So you know, gives me a little bit more drastic. Yeah, I've I've seen that, and I think that makes sense. I guess so. So, what are you doing? I mean, I guess it's tough to. I mean, you can't play tennis right now, so it's tough to work. I guess. Yeah, there's uh, yeah leisure clubs, tennis clubs. They're all shut. So my local clubs are shut. You can't go there. I mean, I can still get access because that's where my shop is. There's no business going on with that. We can't play tennis as much as everyone wants to because I deal for social distancing. So, so yeah, just trying to trying to keep sane as best I can. Yeah, that's the trick. That's the tricky part of it because it's a lot of time being spent indoors for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether it's better because the the weather is good finally in the UK or not. I don't know. It drives, I think, people out. But it's also... It does raise the spirits a little bit more. If it was pouring down with rain all the time, then I think we'd be, uh, it would keep people indoors, but I think we'd be going even more crazy. Yeah, I think so. I think the weather helps. It's been really a good winter here, weather-wise as well, and we, we, we generally have good weather, but um, it, it definitely helps for sure. Uh, so tell me a bit about yourself. Um, you have a pretty uh, senior background as a stringer. You're the head stringer of Wimbledon and uh, you've been stringing for many, many years on the highest level of the tour. So how did you get started in stringing and tennis? Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll give you a brief rundown of where I started. So I played tennis from about 12, 13, so a bit of a late comer. Um, I got a job in a local sports shop about 18 and they said hey you play tennis do you want a string racket it's like yeah sure why not so that is like nearly 32 years ago now so i was there for about 10 years stringing rackets that took me through till about just uh, before the 2000s um i left there when i did an office job but still did a bit of stringing then you know i got a lucky call so to speak from uh bow brand who were then using uh who were then stringing at wimbledon said you know do you want to come and uh work with us see how it goes it's like yeah sure who wouldn't so i started 
just uh, started slowly there, uh, a few days here, a few days there over the first number of years, um, and then gradually got more and more. Obviously, in about 2009, um, Bo Brand pulled out and was taken over by a company called Apollo Leisure, uh, who are a strings distributor uh, within the UK with major sort of connections with Babolat and Head and Gamma, uh, and they had uh, Prince as well. So, you know, we just continued on from there onwards. And then about six years ago, I think now, the the, the guy who was the head string at Wimbledon um, sort of has stepped back a bit. He's got a bit older. He's, you know, a bit more retirement. And they said, you know, do you want to step up and take the position? He recommended me. And I've been, you know, doing uh, doing that since, since, like I said, about six or seven years ago. But I, I went full-time professional stringing in... 2011 because I was made redundant from my job in, in 2010 and the 2011 combined uh, with Babalat taking the contract for all professional tournaments in the UK apart from the World Tour Finals in Wimbledon and again they said you know do you want to come and do some tournaments it's all levels it's ITF futures it's junior internationals it, you know ATP WTA it's like hey yeah sure that's that's Gives me a job, I'll do it, and then it's just obviously just built up from there onwards uh, to where I am now. It's a tough job, I guess. It's a lot of hours in front of the stringing machine. Do you still play a lot of tennis yourself? Do you have time for that? I mean, it's a question that everybody asks. Um, I try and play as much as I can when I can, but under normal circumstances, you know, I could be going three, three and a half months without playing and then getting back into it and playing a little bit more. Yeah, I do suffer with my tennis because I need to be someone who continually plays. I'm not as talented as someone like you because obviously you look a bit of a natural and some of the other players. But I try and play as, as much as I can. You know, I need to get out, have a hit with the new rackets, new strings, etc. You know, get an input into that. So that's always a good uh, excuse to get out for a hit. Uh, how, how did you take the news, I mean, as the, as the head stringer of Wimbledon about the cancellation of Wimbledon this year it must have been a pretty pretty sad news to get yeah I mean it's it's obviously everything's affected you know sport wise you know we knew obviously these decisions have been made early because of the amount of lead time to uh, to set everything up um, it's not just for us it's for obviously the whole of Wimbledon their their setups yeah we were disappointed obviously I mean as soon as you know, if the ATP had turned and uh, moved their their date until sort of the week before Wimbledon to cut everything back, we knew no grass court, no Wimbledon. It went the other way around, no Wimbledon, no grass court. So yeah, we're disappointed. You know, obviously it's a work time, it's a busy time for us. You know, it's one of our prime earning period. You know, the other side of it, we don't get to see some of the friends we've made over the years, so that's a bit tough. But you know long uh you know the long plan you know it's something we have to accept and you know it is obviously for the for the benefit of everybody that you know there is reducing this risk you know if come by the time Wimbledon would have been on that everywhere and is a much better position then you know everyone will be saying why why didn't they wait but we can't do that unfortunately it's just so much planning goes ahead with it as you know any major tournament major sporting event but, it, but it's better to know now than just sort of hang on and wait and wait and wait. Yeah, I think I think that's I mean it's a decision they have had to take, I guess. Often do you travel around to string at tournaments? Is it like all through the year, or how often do you do that? Uh, I would say yeah, I think over a normal year, 
most months I am somewhere doing some form of tournament, whether it be an ITF or an ATP or Masters or Grand Slam, something like that. I'm probably, you know, I would say there's going to be maybe one or two months I'm not away. And that's normally like December, November, December, something like that, or maybe August and, and December. Obviously, the biggest period is, is basically the European start from the clay court season onwards through to the end of Wimbledon. But then I get a week off and then I'm back doing uh, a regional tournament. And then this year there would have been, I think, a couple of ITFs in the UK. That takes into August. You know, I, I have quite a bit lined up, to be honest. So it's, it's traveling with the UK and traveling outside of the UK as well. And that's something I guess you enjoy doing because you've been doing it for a while now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it's a job. A lot of people say, uh, particularly something like a Wimbledon, they go like, hey, how do you enjoy Wimbledon? Wasn't it really good? And you sort of go, yeah, but I'm actually spending two and a half weeks working. It's not like I'm going somewhere for a holiday. Yeah. Um, but the thing which, you know, makes the tournament is, you know, like I said, it's meeting up with fellow stringers, friends you've made over the years. You know, seeing familiar faces, meeting up with some of the players, meeting them because obviously we we don't see them completely throughout the year, but we see them at various tournaments. So, you know, we build up good, I'm going to say definitely good friendships with some players, good working relationship with others. And yeah, yeah, it's it's a, yeah, it's a sad time. Okay, you know, we are getting paid to do the job, but it's it's an enjoyable job as well. Yeah, and you must be, I mean, it's long days and um, a lot of work, especially around the clock when you're stringing for such a tournament. Uh, but you also do uh, stringing training with the ERSA, right? That is correct, yeah. So I'm the, the ERSA, European Racket Stringers Association. I'm the manager for the UK. So uh, my responsibility, try and get the courses uh, running. Um, obviously, that involves some travel around the UK as well. Uh, meeting up with people, teaching them how to string. Um, you know, they're, they're solid days in themselves. And they that can be quite tiring. Um, any form of teaching is obviously tiring. That, that's quite tiring as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's an enjoyable thing, getting someone from going from, from something, or sorry, from nothing to, to something to, the, you know, the position where they, they can string a racket on their own in doing that. Uh, you know, it's, I think it takes a good couple of days just for the brain to settle in and get some good grounding. Uh, just, you know, stringing a basic racket, something straightforward. And we go through about, I don't know, six, six to eight rackets over the two days. Um, and everyone, you know, just gets better and better at it. Yeah. And then obviously someone who, who's, who's been stringing for a while, they're, they're keen to either hone their skills, you know, learn some, some new skills, learn some better ways of doing it, or, you know, even take one of the tests we offer, which are obviously recognised throughout Europe, throughout the world on, on, you know, the level we do them at as well. Do you get, like, complete beginners to these courses, or is it more people who have tried some kind of stringing in the past? No, no, we, we get complete beginners, people who have never tried, people who have never touched a machine before. You know, I've, I've taught 10-year-olds, uh, to do to, to learn how to string and you know, you know some of the younger guys are pretty good because obviously their brain's a little bit easier to to work with yeah but people who've never even like I said touched a string in a racket I teach uh, but to be honest they're probably most of the customers I have on the courses there are some people 
And then it's a case of looking at their skills, um, trying to highlight some, some better ways of doing it or even sort of some alternate ways of doing it uh, and reasons obviously behind why we, why we would do what we do. Yeah, I mean, how, how long does it usually take for uh, a person to get to go from scratch to uh, to actually learning to string? Is it a couple of days, or I mean, it, uh, for me, it took a while to to learn. I, I think, to be honest, the the basics, the grounding of it, I think two days is is a good is a good starting point. But once uh, once you've had the two days, it is it is down to to the person to just practice. That's the thing which which does it. I will, you know, I will turn around and go. I don't think the basics of stringing is that difficult. It's a little bit of a rinse and repeat process. You know, you put the string in, you tension it, you clamp it, you do that over and over again. Obviously, the slightly trickier bit is the weaving. That basic, I think, is is, is relatively straightforward. It's not that difficult, but there are obviously certain things you have to take into account. Obviously, different types of string patterns, where it starts. The different types of string you're going to be used, the tension, the machine. Um, you know, there's some other, there's some rackets out there which are just a little bit more awkward to, to string than others. You know, something like a, a Prince 03 is potentially a little bit more awkward, certainly for people to learn on. You know, and it's just trying to get to people and say, look, we'll give you the basic groundings in those two days. And then, you know, if you can practice, continue practicing. And then after six months, a year, if you feel competent, we'll come back, we'll assess you, see how well you're doing, and then obviously just trying to, to move your skills on a little bit more. Yeah, and you can get this kind of, if, if you're a pretty qualified stringer, you can get this certification. I think uh, Rich, your friend Richard uh, explained a little bit about that, but uh, do you have a lot of, lot of stringers coming in and want to do the certification when you do these trainings? Yeah, yeah, I mean, we do get it from a lot of people. They want something formal, something they can, you know, they can obviously display, whether it be at their shop or their club, or there may be even be some places where they say they, they want some sort of formal qualification um, before they will allow them to, to move on and, you know, string rackets for their club or their, their, their association or shop or, or whatever it may be. You know, and it's a good way to actually show off your skills i mean there are plenty of stringers out there um and there are plenty out there who just aren't doing the job well enough or or, or good enough to the basics of of stringing and you know we try and obviously thin those out the people who really want to learn they will do it and they will learn from it and they will go forward and they will get better but there are some who will have some skills and they just will not want to to go anything beyond that stringing is uh, it's a continuous learning process. You know, like I said, I've been stringing 32 years or nearly 32 years, and we're always learning new stuff. You know, how the strings have changed over the years, how they interact now with the frame, how the modern game has changed, how we would view the, the strings now or the tensions or trying to match in, you know, better for some players, certain strings than others. And obviously, as companies bring out new rackets, new technologies, new strings, you know, we need to be up with that. You know, we're likely to see more of that first on the on the tour. You know, players trying new strings or new frames, and their main means that you know we have to take a slight different approach to something. But that's the experience that you know you get through 32 years. But like I said, is that the basis of it is we even if we can string that long we have to continually learn. We can't stand still. And anyone who does stand still 
is going to be lost down the line. What would be kind of a key? Is that like a key advice you would give to um, to stringers who wanted to improve? Do you have one like one thing that you should really focus on? I mean, the main one is is practice. Practice as much as you can. Consistency is is the biggest key. Uh, certainly, when we're dealing with pro players, you know, they want to know that they can go to the stringer at the tournament, hand their racket in, know what they're going to get back is exactly what they asked for and exactly that feel they want. So it's consistency. So whatever you do, you make sure you do the correct method and you consistently do it. So no shortcuts, no easy way around things, you know, anything like that. Consistency is the absolute key. And um, what would you say is, is um, do you see any kind of trends in the in the stringing world? I mean, I've talked a bit about that with Richard and he said about obviously lower tensions but are there other things you see or is it just um you know very personal approach everyone has to their string job i think i think that question answer that question is twofold one yes it is obviously personal to the players you know trying to get their strings the tension they want or the setup they want so that it maximizes and helps their game general trends i would say i mean certainly over the year where we always expected certainly when Wimbledon was faster, the, gra- the tensions on the grass court season were higher than the clay. Now it seems a little bit more around the other way. That the tensions on the clay seem to be higher than the grass. People seem to go a little bit lower now to get that ball to go through a little bit quicker, particularly on the serve, a lot more than what they ever used to do, which is, you know, interesting when we, we hear of, you know, arguments of, you know, particularly when, you have players like Ivan Izovic and Roddick and such like, you know, and Sampras. Big serves, that's all you see on grass. They slow the grass down and then we're still getting told that the players are bigger and stronger and they're hitting the serves harder. You know, there is a change in their mind when it comes to that grass. Like I said, they are reducing the tension down compared to the clay. Um, I mean, as for the other thing, uh, it seems to be, there seems to be more of an increased use of gut now than what there has been. Uh, when I first started at Wimbledon, I said 2004, there was a there was a little bit of all gut or full gut, and then that seemed to go away. They had a few hybrids, a lot of poly. Now, certainly when we get to the grass, there seems to be a lot more gut usage, even amongst players who, through the rest of the year, probably wouldn't be using gut hybrids. They, I, I don't know whether it's just a little bit more speed they get of it, or there's just a little bit better feel. But that seems to be a noticeable trend uh that i've seen to be honest yeah it seems like many many pros uh, use gut hybrids even younger guys coming up who maybe started out with a full bed of poly and they when they maybe get a bit more recognition money uh, moving up the rankings they seem to go to um to a gut hybrid yeah for sure i i absolutely you know i think you know gut is certainly something that Everybody, it doesn't matter whether you're a professional or a recreation club player, is something that everybody should try. Not everyone will necessarily like it, but I think it's certainly something that everybody should try. And I'd say try and do that and store that to, to my club members at the moment. But yeah, there seems to be coming back into that gut, more gut usage now than what there used to be. Um, so obviously, like I said, with hybrids, that, that I personally, I think is, is the way it's going to go. One thing that uh, I've seen and, and I've heard some talk about is uh, also hybriding two uh, polyester strings. Is that something you get as a request from time to time? 
Um, certainly from the pros, there are a, a few we do see with, you know, mixing up the uh, the two different types of polyester. I mean, a, what seems to be a popular one or has been a popular one is Luxlon Power with Luxlon Original. Um, obviously, for the uh, if you have the original remains, it may be a little bit more durable, maybe a little bit more spinny. With the alu in the mains, there may be just a little bit touch more power. Um, obviously, they're trying to offset it. Uh, you know, there's also the use of a hybrid where they're using the same string but two different gauges. Normally, the thicker one is on the mains because that's the one which would normally break. So I think off the top of my head, I believe Donald Young was using Hyper-G with two different thicknesses of the same string. So that, again, has become um, a little bit more prominent you know the players which would prefer the thin gauge but they're breaking it too quickly so they just go for that thicker gauge on the main and still keep the thinner gauge on the cross yeah that seems to make sense and it's i mean one thing when i do a lot of testing as you know and one thing uh, you notice when you start experimenting is that it's like endless the amounts of combinations and uh, how you can play around with tensions and what to put in the mains what to put in the crosses etc um but what, are there any other uh, general trends you're seeing in from the string manufacturers? I mean, f- before it used to be a lot about the shape of the string, but now that seems to be dying out a little bit. Um, I think I think that a lot of manufacturers are moving more towards softer polyesters now. Um, you know, obviously, first-generation polyesters, very harsh, you know, highly durable. Were they that great playable-wise? not really too sure obviously once you know basically Google came along curtain came along and started using the alley power more players picked up on polyesters um you know and they developed different things with the polyesters not just something which is solid and just going to give you control it's going to give you a little bit more feel or maybe a little bit more power um obviously like you mentioned shape strings as well but there definitely seems to be this move towards softer polyesters. Um, but what seems to be the downside with softer polyesters is the tension will go off a little bit quicker. Now, for someone whose job is stringing rackets, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Softer polyester strings are better for players, certainly on the comfort-wise. But if the tension drops off that quickly, they're going to string more often. Um, shape strings, you know, obviously head have introduced their links tour which is shape yeah i think shape strings are are a, a personal preference and i think you're probably going to fall in the camp of where they really do help or really don't help um too much with that but softer polyesters i think is probably the way forward do you see a lot of players experimenting or being open to experimenting with their strings i mean rackets they're usually not that keen on unless it's like the off season for one or two weeks, but but with strings, do you see a, little, a bit more interest in experimenting? Occasionally, occasionally I see some players, even at tournaments, they will try stuff. But it's it's not a big thing, you know, unless suddenly their their sponsor comes up, you know, hey, we got a new string, do you want to fancy trying it? They may probably try it a little bit away from their from the tour, you know, maybe when they're back home and a bit of a break, just have a bit of a hit with it, see what they think. I wouldn't say it's that massive, not not on tour, to be honest. When it comes to um, club players coming to you, 
What what is uh, kind of the trends you see there? Do you see a lot of like common mistakes of using very stiff frames and stiff polys, or uh, what kind of trends are you seeing, or are you seeing a little bit of everything? Uh, yeah, I mean, I see a little bit of everything. Um, I am trying. I mean, the lucky thing I've been I've been at my my shop in the, in the club for nearly two or about two years now. So it's, it's I've gone in there, and there's been a lot of older players with, like you said, the stiffer the super light frames using incorrect string, normally polyester. So it's trying to get those off of that. You know, there are a lot of, I mean, moving back to like I said, with string educational stringers, they're using the wrong string in the, or putting the wrong string in the wrong racket for the player. You know, older players generally don't need this stiff string. They need something nice and comfortable and soft, something which is going to help their game. But I mean, generally, most players I'm stringing for at the club, you're looking more towards the hybrids or maybe a synthetic gut or multi-filament for a lot of players, for club players. For the better players, certainly hybrids and maybe some full polyesters. I don't try to string that tight either. Um, I, I do try to keep it quite low. Uh, by that, I mean around about sort of, uh, no higher than 25 kilos, 55 pounds. And I look more toward, towards the 50 51, which is like 23 kilos, somewhere around that. Again, just to make it a bit more comfortable for the player, um, you know, so they get a little bit more out of it. Do you see players trying, like, you know, proportional stringing, like Sergetti stringing? Is that a thing you see? Yes, I've seen. Um, I've, I've seen. I've strung some Sergetti patterns and proportional patterns for some people just to try. I know a couple of players who have signed into the Sagetti system and are using that quite a bit or have been using that quite a bit but from my my club perspective then no no I, I, to be honest I'm not a big proponent of sort of adaptive type stringing um, I personally think that the way that tennis rackets have evolved over the years they've sort of come to its its peak its best and it's very difficult to move away from that. You can change things around string tensions and the such like, but if you start getting into messing around with two strings too much, I think it will go. It goes too far and doesn't really benefit. So you're not a huge fan of, of um, the different uh, methods of so, such like uh, Sergetti. I guess it's the JET method as well, and a few other methods. I, I'm just testing them at the moment, so that's why I'm curious to hear an expert's opinion. I mean, to me, the—I mean, I can see the ideas behind it. I fully understand, you know, the basis behind what they're doing, and certainly the Sketty method does take it further, or the proportional type system further. By, you know, it uses uh, the type of frame you're using and the type of string you're using, and your base tension to give you the information to string the racket. I will—I will say that's, you know, move the proportional sort of type stringing on further. I have hit with a, a racket strung with Sagetti. Did I notice a difference? Yes. For me, I didn't like it. I felt it was a bit unpredictable. You know, it's great having such a big sweet spot, but when you get, I think, to a certain standard, and I'm, you know, I can hit a reasonable ball over the net. I, I find that you need a certain feedback, and if you don't get that feedback, it just goes away. So feeling like actually the whole sweet, uh, the the whole racket, the string bed is a sweet spot is a little bit on the, you know, for some players, I don't think it's going to work. I could see it certainly working for older players, 
you know, making that super large racket even bigger sweet spot, I certainly can see the advantage in that. Uh, again, if you go to proportional stringing, you know, my view is if, if we look at the racket, if we string our base tension of, uh, and I will use two kilos, 25 kilos on the, on the center mains, and by the time you, you've strung that, clearly the tension you're actually applying to the outer strings is going to be different due to one friction when you're pulling the string, also down to the length of the string you're pulling. So I think naturally you get a lower tension than what you would do in the center. So it's like the racket has naturally produced its own proportional stringing method, i.e., you know, as you go further out, it's lower. And in the middle, it would normally be tighter, which is the, basically the same basis for, for proportional stringing. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that seems uh, something that I can agree with from my standpoint. I also um, would agree with what you're saying about Sagetti after testing it for a while. I think it is it has some, some nice benefits with, um, with the feel. It's pretty nice. But my, my key issue with it is that you don't get kind of the feedback that you uh, usually do. And that's, I mean, that's my initial take after testing it for, for a while. But it's, I, I definitely agree in that there are benefits, especially if you really want a bigger sweet spot. But if the whole racket is a sweet spot, there's also an issue in the connection you get to the ball, I think. Uh, so I, it was well put the way you um, phrased it. Yeah, I, uh, yeah I, I, like I said, I think if you're a competent player, which clearly you are, I think, you, you know, you need some form of feedback. It's, it, it sort of goes along the same lines with, with racket technology. You know, it's great when they start making these rackets which absorb all the, all the fine vibrations to reduce it down and make it more comfortable, which is good. But you actually need some form of feedback to know what's happening with the ball on the strings and the, and the racket. Otherwise, you, you lose you lose touch of, and pardon the pun, of when you're hitting the ball, and how that feedback is coming back to you. So you don't quite know with the Sagetti maybe what you're getting back, but with a good racket, you are going to get that feedback. Which is why sometimes if rackets are a little bit too muted for for players, it it, it doesn't work. Which is another reason why some players, and I have done some customization for some player, and we've used silicon in the handle. And they just come back and said, I don't like it because it just dampens the frame way too much. I need the silicon taken out. So it, it's, I'm not saying it's the same thing, but it's a comparable almost negativity about it. Yeah, I completely agree. I think feedback is, is the key part. I mean, you can have a comfortable racket that still gives you a sensation of, of where in the string bed you hit the ball. But if you take out too much of the information, you get quite lost. And that's something... I personally seen with a with a few of the the newer models when they just have so much dampening in the racket uh, to kind of uh, help players get uh, less arm problems or tennis elbow and wrist issues. But then the issue is that they can't really feel the ball, and uh, then you have a whole other set of problems. So um, I completely agree with that. Do you, uh, when you give recommendations to um, to club players, do they come in to ask you what they should use, or are they usually pretty set on what they want to to have in the racket? No, I mean, you know, I've I've worked in a sports shop before, so you know, I, some of that I can recall some of those questions when I was a bit, you know, a lot younger. Now with with far more experience, and obviously, basically. The, the shop is fronting straight out onto the tennis court and to see the people more often, you get an idea of their style of play. Obviously, there are questions 
what would you want? Do you want more power? Do you want more control? Do you want more feel? Do you want more spin? What What are you looking for? Tell me what you're looking for. Okay, and I have, you know, about 30 demos of, of various brands. Here's a couple. Go and hit with them. Hit with them. Come back. Tell me what you think. What did you like? What didn't you like? So that, you know, everyone gets the chance to actually have a demo with a racket. And, and to be honest, I think that's the absolute key is to have people try the rackets where possible beforehand so they get an idea. So like, you know, like you said, is that if you pick up a racket, one of the modern rackets, which is a lot more muted, someone may come out and say, yeah, I liked it, but I didn't get the feedback. Okay, let's move to one which should have to give a bit more feedback when you hit the ball. That's the important thing, to be honest. What's the kind of um, worst stringing request you get? Do you get some that you really don't like to do or... Are you um... are you talking are you talking at all levels or just uh, club level? Uh, yeah, all levels in general. <laughs> I suppose. I mean, from from a club level, I'm on a lot of players. I'm advising um, what we should go for, or we're sort of repeating roughly what they've done before. You know, I can certainly remember a, a point when I was back in the shop, sports shop that was. You know, a person coming and saying, can my racket strong? Sure. Yeah, I wanted 150 tension. Are you sure? Because normally that's like way too high. Okay, maybe I mean 100. No, that's way too high. What are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking more like 50. Oh, okay then. So they were completely out of range on what they ever thought the tension on a racket would ever be, you know, for some, you know, strange reason. Um you know, on the tour, the players, you know, they will have their own, you know, little bits and pieces. Um, occasionally, we've had a player which may come in and say they want some form of proportional type stringing. So they've come up with their little list and say, right, these strings got to be this, these got to string this. Uh, uh, but to be honest, on something like that, it's a, you are the, you're the customer. I'm going to do that. There's no issue with that. You know, I'm, you you're paying me to do the job and that's what I'm going to do. You know, you'll have things like, I think I may mentioned before, um, my knots have got to be in the right place. I can't have the knots in the wrong place. The knot has got to be all exactly the same. They can't be different. I need my racket strung three hours before my match. Uh, well, that's great, but you're the fourth match on, so when do I start? But on that sort of circumstance, we like to work with the players or the coach and say, well, look, this is what you want. You want three hours before the match. I reckon it, I need to start it like when the second match goes on. Is that okay? And then you can come, you know, at the end of that second match and your rackets will be ready. You know, they're the sort of requests we may get. I'm just trying to think of you know, any really... There's nothing, I would say, totally outlandish as far as I can recall at this moment. Yeah, I mean, it must be difficult when you're managing uh, a stringing team, uh, for example, at Wimbledon. Um, what are like the key challenges you see there? Is it like uh, scheduling or the different workload you have to manage? What would you say are the key challenges? So the, the this this is something which always astounds people when I tell them. So at Wimbledon, for about the first four days, five days, I don't actually do any stringing. Um, what I actually do is I allocate all the rackets to the specific stringers. I make sure that the rackets are moving uh, in a timely manner so that, you know, as they come in, 
they get distributed to the right stringer. Um, I'll be there cutting out strings. I'll be checking if there's any issues with rackets or what have you or strings. You know, if we're out of strings, we need to contact the player. Um, it's a little bit more, I suppose, of an admin role, but it's an important one because if I get the system right and get, everyone gets the rackets when they need to get them, then it relatively it moves relatively smoothly. You know, if we just sit there with, you know, two, three hundred rackets not doing anything, then, you know, we're just going to be backed up to the end of the day and we're going to be under a lot of pressure. The, the stringers themselves do have their own personal responsibility of managing their workload and their timings. It's part of my job to make sure that they know when those players are due to play all their specific requirements, such as they want it strung in the evening or they want it strung at first thing in the morning. Um, you know, anything specific like pre-stretch or racket must be mounted the opposite way round for whatever reason. Or like I said, knots must be in this position. Obviously, once we're first uh, through the first few days, the stringers, having dealt with that player and their rackets, they know what to expect. One of the most important bits of information we get towards the end of the day is that schedule. So as soon as the the tournament office releases the schedule, we have that. We're looking through what everybody's got to, to string. We tell them which match they're playing the next day. Uh, or obviously later that day, or any special requests, we get that all allocated. So by the end of the day, everyone is just working really hard, trying to get as much done as they can before, obviously, we, we finish for the night um, and then start first thing in the morning. I am allocated a machine. Normally, someone else is on that machine, but so they will be stringing um, any rascals that will be designated to myself um, while I'm not stringing and then they will leave and then I will continue stringing and by the time I start stringing you know we've seen virtually every player come in so we know who's stringing what rackets and everyone is well aware of any you know specific requests. Is it really important to keep the same uh, stringer and the same player kind of uh, matched? Uh, the player is really keen to to make sure you get the the same stringer all the time? Players will ask for that. I mean, we do it as a matter of course now because it's just the way forward. We know if there are for any any reasons any issues. And, you know, through tournaments I've been, there have been times where maybe a player will go, do you know what, I'm not really happy with what I'm getting. Can you give me another stringer? Or they may actually even specify a particular stringer. They may see someone say, hey, you know, um, Paul's there. Can I have Paul's string my rackets? And, and that's, what we'll, that's what we will do. Uh, but ultimately, everyone gets to string the same rackets for the same players um, all the time. That may be a little bit different when it comes to things, and it may sound bad, when it comes to things like juniors. We get a lot of junior rackets in, and we just try and get them done as we can. Um, and obviously, the other thing as well is that as we go through the tournament, we reduce the number of stringers down. Uh, so there may be a, a player who has been doing really well um, but they're actually their stringer is now left so we have to move that on to somebody else but what we try and do is we try and allocate those players we expect to go deep into the doors they will go with the stringers who are going to be there the longest now if we take something like a, a, a Wimbledon then we have uh, Xavi Segura who is the Spanish Davis Cup captain 
normally strings for Rafa. So he will be there till at least the Friday or the Saturday. So he will be stringing for Rafa all the time um, as long as he's there. If, if Rafa gets to the final and, and Xavi's gone, then one other person. So we would minimise the amount of changes given anyway. All right. So, uh, so Rafa is is keen on having him string his rackets. Is that the thing? Because I, what I've heard is that he's not as picky as some perhaps some other players on the string jobs. I think to be honest, uh, while it, yeah, he is not as picky. I mean, he pretty much keeps the same tension. He may vary it by a kilo, half sorry, half a kilo, but usually um, he is not that picky. But when the opportunity arises that Xavi can string for Rafa. He will string for Rafa. So I've worked with Xavi in Madrid in the Madrid Masters. He will string for Rafa. When I've worked with Xavi in the French, he's strung for Rafa. So while we have Xavi on board at Wimbledon, it's a clear and obvious thing that I make sure that he strings for Rafa anyway. You know, there are certain other players that we will always allocate out to on certain basis, a little bit like that. How do you, um, if if you're a, a keen stringer, I mean, how difficult is it to be stringing at a Masters event or a, or a Grand Slam? It's tough. You know, there are a lot of good shop stringers out there. The stringing in a shop is not the same as stringing for a tournament. You know, if you take, uh, you know, in my experience, a couple of the largest shops in the UK, they're probably stringing 25, 30 rackets a day. Well, that could be for 25 different customers, all doing different things, badminton, tennis, squash, different, you know, and they're likely to be relatively straightforward things. Now, if you suddenly do your stringing 25 rackets a day at a tournament, you may only be stringing for five players, but each one of those needs to be exactly the same, which, like I said, comes back to consistency. And then it's the realisation that you're not coming in at nine o'clock in the morning and leaving at five, It could be a case you're coming in at seven o'clock in the morning and leaving at 11 and you're doing 40 rackets and, you know, you've got to eat while you're stringing or you maybe just have a, a quick half hour break. It's a lot of pressure and it's, it's very difficult. Again, as I go back to my own experience, when I started Wimbledon in 2004, I thought, hey, I'm good enough to go to Wimbledon. I must be, I must be a decent stringer to do that. And then when you get there and you see what actually was going on, And it just it just totally changes you. So you can learn so much when you get to a certain point to get to start doing tournaments. But once you start tournaments, you will start learning new skills and new things, how to do it. it it's that difficult. Yeah, and the pressure I, I'm, I can imagine is is the the thing as well. You need to shell out so many rackets under a in a very stressful situation with a lot of people around you stringing and and rackets coming all the time uh, it's got to be a, a big challenge oh yeah abs absolutely you know it's it's i have certain people that you know i'm sort of uh, sort of training or guiding or, or mentoring them um in tournament situations and it's just trying to get them onto that that level they are they are learning that but it's it's very difficult for anyone to just walk into a tournament with no tournament experience and then go Yeah, be completely up to speed exactly where you think you're going to be because, you know, you'll walk in, you'll know you've got so many rackets to do and then you just don't know what your workload's going to be 
when it comes in. And one of the difficult things is, I think, obviously, like a lot of work, it's something you're thrown a lot of work to do is not to get disheartened. You know, if, if I go to one player, uh, sorry, one stringer and say, look, I've got 15, 16 rackets for you to do over the space of the next eight or so hours, you know, some people may start just seeing a pile of rackets there and then, you know, mentally they start sort of, you know, say freaking out, but it's sort of, you know, getting a bit underwhelmed, oh, sorry, overwhelmed with it. And then you'll give someone else that and it just won't be no problem at all. Um, but that's the experience that, you know, tournament stringers will get. And it's something that you just, you know, you can't imagine until you actually get in that position. And because it's never changing today, they can give you those 16 rackets and suddenly you go, hey, I've got these two rackets. They need to be done now because the guy's going to go on court in, in an hour and he needs them. So you're going to have to push those back. And they're the thought of things you suddenly think, just as I'm getting on top of things, it changes. And it's just, you know, understanding that mentality of, you know, you realise that you're part of the team, everyone's doing exactly the same thing, and, you know, you'll get and do exactly the same thing as well. How many rackets do you get on, on average per, per player to string if you're at the Grand Slam, for example? Is, is it possible to give an average? Uh, I mean, certainly the numbers are going up. I will give you that. Uh, you're probably looking now comfortably four. I would comfortably say most players will be given four rackets, fives, sixes. You know, that's not unheard of. You know, we've had eights and tens as well. You know, and that doesn't include anyone who's who's putting a large amount in and then having them strung through the, through the tournament or through the matches. You know, a bit like Nishikuri, he's known for having a lot to to start with and then quite a few during the match particularly if it's a long five setter you know when I was starting in 2004 or around that sort of time then you know two rackets maybe three that's what it was now you know you're getting a lot of players are stringing a lot more and the women are stringing more now as well they didn't used to string as much as the men but they are definitely stringing more they're definitely putting in fours fives and sixes now certain players are um so everyone is seeing how far more important stringing has become to certainly to the top players and it should follow down um to everybody else that if the pros are changing they're changing for a reason they're not breaking strings in a match rarely they ever breaking strings in a match so there must be another reason why yeah it might is it uh, in part because they want to have a few different tensions that they can feel like they can uh, increase the control and or increase the power if things don't go the way they expected? Uh, to be honest, most players will probably have the same tension. Some players may have a couple of different tensions. So if they have six rackets, they may go a split between four and two different tensions. But I guess I think most of them will, will have the same. Again, if you go to someone like Anishikuri, he may have eight rackets strung and six and two. So six of one tension, two of another tension. Uh, like I said, he's he's no problem when he will send the rackets back. So we know they're going to come and it's just which tension he's going to have. Is he going to go for the same? Is it going to be tighter because it's got warmer? Is it going to be lower because it's got a bit cooler? You know, but a lot of players, so, so you take someone like, a, obviously like a Rafa who sends rackets back, he will have the same tension. He won't be changing tensions. Never in, never in actually in a match will he change attention. 
Yeah, I can imagine that. He, he really wants it, uh, things to be uh, the same and uh, the way he is uh, used to, for sure. He's that kind of guy. Do you? So I think the the reason, well, from what I can read from your replies, is that players are getting more and more understanding of how important it is to have the right string setup, tension, um, string job for a match, and they're they're you know understanding the how how much it can affect the result. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think you know for pros where you know they're missing by, and obviously with Hawkeye, it shows how close they are missing or hitting the lines. You know, it's getting to that position now. They are getting down to those really, really small margins now, which is why they want this consistency. They want to make sure that everything they ask for is is, is what they're getting. Um, you know, and as we're talking here, you know, things do pop into my head. So we will have players who have been asking for, you know, tenths of a kilo change. And, you know, for a stringer, you know, as we do it, we do it. That's what they ask for. But on a rational side, you may turn around and go, how much is that actually making? You know, we know on a general basis that lower tensions would give you a little bit more power, but actually it really doesn't. It gives you a little bit more depth, certainly when you're changing by, you know, maybe a kilo or a couple of pounds. So to make a change by a tenth or two tenths of a kilo is, it's very difficult, uh, I think, for a lot of people to understand. But I'm not, you know, that level of player that I could actually turn around and go, yeah, I really need to drop by a tenth or two tenths of a kilo. It really is going to make that difference. But like I said, generally, yeah, players are a lot more switched on. You know, they'll be getting more and more players getting the, the string tension devices. I mean, certainly Caroline Wozniacki was quite prominent. You'd see her on court checking the dynamic tension of the string. So you'll have players or coaches, you know, they'll have the racket strung, they'll check it, yeah, that's the tension we want. And then they know that's exactly what they're going to get every match or every time that string is strings a racket. In fact, what we do at Wimbledon, we have done over the last three years now, we actually make a record of all the dynamic tensions of the rackets the stringers do. So we do have a reference point. If someone wants to query something, we can go to the string and say, hey, what was your reading? Our reading was this, so we think it's correct. Um, and it, again, it's another way to make sure, should we have to move one racket to another stringer, that we can maintain that consistency. Do you think that the dynamic tension is one of the key uh, measurements you can have to uh, to check the string job? Yes, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, there is... I know something new has come onto the market from from one of the Italian guys. I've not chased, uh, checked it yet, had a look at it. Um, so I know they're slightly different. But, you know, we, we need this measurable way of checking it, the consistency and the tension loss. I mean, it's a great kit if it's used correctly. You can't arbitrarily just go up, pick a racket up and say, it's going to be this tension. It's very, very difficult to do that. So we do have to have starting points. Again, it's another reason why we do that check at Wimbledon so that we know, for instance, if a player said, you know, this one seems to have dropped off rather quickly, we can check that and see whether it's, you know, maybe one they've mistakenly picked out of their bag or whether actually something has has gone wrong. But it's certainly the best way forward in checking that. You know, one of the things I do when I explain any attention to to people who don't quite understand it would be if I string two of the same racket, one in gut, one in polyester, both at 
25 kilos, 55 pounds, they've both been strung on the same machine by the same string at the same tension. But due to the difference in the construction, they are going to give you a different dynamic tension reading. And that's what people sometimes misunderstand when we, you know, when they say, can you check the tension on my racket with your device? Well, yes, but it's not actually going to give you the correct tension. It's only going to give you a rough guide to what it could be. Yeah, and these uh, tension meters, uh, what, what are you using? Are you using the ERS, the BERS? Uh, the BERS one, yes. So I'm using the portable ERT. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's so, been out of stock. I've been trying to buy one of those. <laughs> I can't find it. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, there's discussions on, or there has been rumors going around why they've been out of stock and what have you. Yeah. I mean, there's talk of the, the, the gentleman who owned the company trying to sell the company on or trying to get someone else to produce or something like that. So I think there's a, there's a bit of a sticking point. Certainly there's a demand for it. People want it. I think it's just that, that manufacturing process is the issue at the moment, from my understanding. Yeah, there must be something because I know there's a lot of guys out there who are really keen to buy a device and I don't know any corresponding or other brands that um, produce something similar. There's this guy in Italy, um, he goes under the Pro T1 uh, branding. He's got something um, which has just come out. I don't know whether he's got any in stock. It's a bit more expensive. It seems to do an awful lot more than just an ERT does. Um, it's worked on a frequency. So, you know, they have, there's the, 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 racket, the racket tune on the iPhone. Yeah. Um, another one as well, I think through tension, something like that. Obviously, that's working off the sound, the frequency and the microphone. And I believe, in essence, the, the Italian one, the Pro T1, is of a similar thing, but it does an awful lot more. I mean, the guy behind it is an engineer, so he's, you know, he's very well versed in, in coming up with this. Um, I've just not had a chance to get hold of one or try one yet, so I can't comment on how good it is. The only thing is, I would say, is probably the best option at the moment, uh, alternative to an ERT, um, uh, until you can get an ERT, let's say that. Yeah, I think it's because um, people are, are getting, and I'm definitely getting more and more interested in in really understanding what happens um, to the string bed after a string job that I've done myself, etc. So it uh, would be a very interesting tool to get, and hopefully we see more kind of innovation in the in the stringing industry. When it comes to machines, do you have any preferences there or um, are you kind of open to working with any kind of high-end machine? So, personally, I have two Babalat Star 5s. One, they're, they're a little bit more portable than some of the other machines. It's still a bit heavy, but I can definitely lift one on my own. Um, and it doesn't take long for me to just plunk it on the stand when I'm at a tournament. And I quite like it. It's relatively fast. It's got a Diablo on it. I quite like it. I think if I didn't like it, I probably wouldn't have it. It's got the same sort of Babolat uh, frame support as the sensor, so that's pretty good. You know, I've worked on with the sensor. I've worked on the racket stations, the latest Babolat uh, machine. I've worked on the head machines, Dunlop machine. Um, not too much on a Wilson, hardly anything on a Technofiber. Preferences, uh, to be honest, a lot of machines... They all have their good points and they all have their bad points. There's no one absolute perfect machine out there at the moment, to be honest. You know, if you take something like the, the Babolat racket station, I mean, the, 
circular turntable is very unique. It's a great innovation. You know, it, it's just so eye-opening and changing from everything else. Uh, traction heads, I mean... I mean, I do like the Star 5. You know, the other traction heads are pretty decent. Clamps, to be honest, the Babolat ones off the Star 5 and Sensor are probably the best around. Um, obviously, they're changing those when they've moved on to the racket station. You know, I like the speeds of the head machine, the one without Diablo. I can find I can string very fast on it. Um, it's just a really easy machine to use. Very quick. Clamps can be doing with being a little bit better. Dunlop one again. That's another very very solid machine. It's got a solid turntable. Uh, it's just a bit heavy and a bit clunky. Obviously, when we go to some of the major tournaments, like Wimbledon or the French Open, when I've been, any of the head tournaments, they're obviously the machines which are supplied there, and you get used to working with them. Um, you know, in the basics, most machines are pretty much the same anyway. Do you need get get some time to kind of make yourself acquaintance with the with the machine? I may make a, a few fine adjustments um, on each on each one. So if I'm using or many are using a, a racket station, then I will actually use my own Star 5 clamps, something like that. Obviously, height adjustment is important uh, for people. I'm not the tallest of people in the world. Um, obviously, we do have some stringers who are very tall, so they need to get them and make sure they're up, you know, the right height. It's just a few little tweaks I like to make to make sure that I'm happy with the machine. I think if I went into using maybe a technofarm machine, I'd, again, it'd take me a bit just to suss it out a day, just to make sure I can get those little tweaks as I want it. And then obviously once I've got that sorted, um, they really shouldn't be too much of a problem. No, so they're all very, very good machines. They just do something just slightly differently. Do you have any like fun stories uh, about uh, interesting requests or any kind of anecdotes you want to share from your long time in stringing? <laughs> um, I mean, there's a, there's a few sort of notorieties I've strung. I strung for Andy Murray on his first matches at Wimbledon in 2005. So I managed to, to bag those rackets when they came in. So I'm, I'm quite happy with that. That's quite a good little one. I've strung, I think when, when I strung for Robert Linstead and Hori Takao when they lost three Wimbledon finals in a row. So <laughs> somebody may say, well, you didn't do a very good job. I will have to say, well, in one of those, I was actually stringing for Johnny Murray and Freddie Nielsen. So, you know, couldn't have been too bad, really, to be honest. Um, you know, I've got a few other doubles torn, uh, titles under my belt for... For, for Wimbledon and that, so they're, they're always quite good. Um, you know, we have lots of characters within the tennis world. Certainly some have changed to be a little bit more sort of relaxed over the years. You know, I'm not mentioning any names, but there's, there's certainly a couple of players that we've dealt with throughout the career. They've been very sort of brash or what have you. And then later on, they're just a, a far more relaxed person. Like I said, we get we, we get the usual one where the, the knots weren't in the right place, so they they basically refused to to take the racket. They had to be redone, even though they were oh, actually wow. a legitimate place of putting the rat of the string of the knot. Sorry. You so know, they even had, have their requests about the knots, the players. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, location. I mean, some of it's visual. Some of it they want to 
hide the knot. So I had a player who said, I need the knot at the bottom to finish on this side of this Babalat racket next to the black knot so I can't see it. You know. <laughs> so there's something like that. Uh, so there's a player who turns and says, I must have all four knots the same, which is a, you know, a bit of a, an obvious thing. But you, know, you can only really do that if you're using a, a starting clamp for the top crosses instead of a starting knot. But, you know, if one is just fractionally out, they were like, oh, my God, some, another stringer did it, another stringer. So we had to go, no, no, it's just, it's not quite cinched up as it should be. But trust me, it's all the same. But, oh, okay, you know, you'll have something like that. It's well known that there is a player who, who wants one, they want the two rackets strung. They always have two rackets strung at the same tension all the time. But they want one strung in the morning and one strung in the previous evening. Mm-hmm. We have we have yet to determine exactly why, and I've not got around to ask them why. It shouldn't be too much of a difficulty, but I just haven't got around to ask them why they'd want to do that. I mean, it may be a case of they just want they want to use the tighter one for a practice. Sounds a bit weird. Tighter one for a practice in the morning. So by the time it's loosened up and they use the new one, which was strong in the more in the evening, it feels the same. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, you'll, you'll you'll get things like that. And even though we see the same players over and over, and we like to think of the same players, see the same stringers, particularly certain tournaments, they will still come to us and say, I want this racket strung this way. It's got to be strung this way because I don't like this. It has to be done like this. You know, you must use this pattern. Okay, yeah, we know that. It's not a difficult thing to do. But So, you know, we'll, we'll have that. I mean, it's just something that, Again, I won't go. I won't go into it too much. I won't name names, but you know there are always going to be some players who are who are far more uptight about things, feeling that it's not quite right. Something's wrong. We haven't strung it right. The tension isn't right. Is that usually after a loss, perhaps, or <laughs> what? Now, funny you should say that because uh, again, uh, I I wasn't at this tournament. So I was told by um, some colleagues of mine, because I was actually running the tournament, but I just had to leave earlier, that they had an instance where the player blamed them for the loss because a string broke, they felt, in a, in a, in a bad manner. The funny thing was, is we got, okay, you know, we can understand that, but he'd lost 7-6 uh, in the third set tie break. So it was like, okay, so I don't really think you can blame losing the whole match on just this unfortunate string break because you'd have time to have another one strung or if it's come at the point right at the end of the match, maybe you could have won it earlier. You know, however, he, I, I wasn't there. He wasn't very happy. It didn't go down too well and it's probably the worst I've heard of any player treating a stringer at the time. Oh, I'm not going to go further. I'm not going to go that far into it. Yeah, it's probably the worst I've ever heard a player take it out on a stringer for something which could have been resolved, let's say that. However, going back, I still do remember, and I'm sure it's probably on the archives somewhere, uh, going back to about 2009, something like that. But he, in his uh, interview at, uh, at the end of the match, um, he basically said, there was, my rackets were, weren't very well done. There must have been uh, a stringer from my opponent's nationality within the stringing room, um, of which there wasn't, but that's obviously the way he felt at the end. I think he lost lost the match in five sets to a player that he probably should have been, but it was a, 
was a young gun, up and coming, and you know it was a good win for the guy. So, you know, you you, you will you will have that. But you know, most of the time, I would say the players are fairly amicable. You know, like I said, some are maybe a bit gruff. It is their job. There is a lot of things on the line, whether it be money or you know titles or what have you. But you have to have a little bit of a thick skin with it as well, and know you know. We're going out there, we're doing the job. You know, some days it's just not your day. We find an excuse for why it's not our day rather than necessarily looking at ourselves thinking, actually, maybe it was me. Yeah, I guess it's an individual sport with, uh, I mean, a lot of players are quite superstitious about finding a scapegoat for whatever went wrong in practice or uh, the match. I've seen that quite a bit as well. And uh, one of the things I, I usually um, feel is that the stringers don't get enough credit because it's a really, really tough job and you need to be really skilled to deliver uh, the good results over and over again uh, to the players. So I, I, I hope that they treat you with a lot of respect because you deserve that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would agree with you on that. You know, we're not trying to big ourselves up. We do feel we are important. Um, and we are doing a, you know, we are doing a tough job. You know, it takes a lot to, I said, to organise uh, a day stringing a tournament. You know, even a small tournament, of futures can be can be quite tough. But you know, you take it up to a Wimbledon level with a lot of a lot more pressure going on. It, it, it is tough, and some players will recognise that, and they will come back and they will say thank you very much. You know, we'll see you at the next tournament, or see you next year. You know, we can build up some good camaraderie with those players um, and you know you do make you do make friends with them you know over a while so next time you see them it's it's, it's really good you know and if you get a player who wins a tournament and come in and say thank you very much you know we are appreciative of that but you know the flip side is, is that it seems to go between uh i'm playing my match in a in an hour i need three rackets done to them because they think it takes 10 minutes and, and, and they don't necessarily realize and then it'd be like you know, the old adage, if you want it done quick, it may not be done well. I mean, we are trying to do the absolute best and and do that. But sometimes they push that to just that window, just a, a little bit too close to the to, to the line. Yeah, I can imagine it's a lot of um, a lot of stress. I mean, um, what would you say is the, the average kind of stringing time if you're at Wimbledon, for example, per racket? Is it around 15, 20 minutes? Or? To be honest, I work on a basis of three in an hour or uh, push five in, in an hour and a half. And that's obviously, you know, we are looking for quality. We're looking to get it done. We're going to done correctly. We're looking for consistency. Are there stringers who can do it quicker? Absolutely. You know, in the right circumstances, they can be pushing out one every 15 minutes. But I'm not looking for players to do 15-minute rackets all day, every day, because they are long days, as we've mentioned, and we are human and we are physical and we do need refueling it's something that you know short bursts sure you can do it long bursts it, it, you know you can't go in at seven o'clock in the morning work till 11 have a little bit of break and punch out you know four maybe even five rackets in an hour for that continued time the human body you can't really do that doesn't matter how well or certainly i don't believe you can do that and still maintain the the excellent level of consistency that a player needs for, you know, to have their tools, which their rackets and strings are, tools to do their job. 
which is like I said, I, I work on a 20 minute window, so three an hour, to be honest. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And that's what I've, I would have heard from other uh, good, very good stringers as well, is that you you need to focus on the quality. And obviously, you guys have strung so many rackets that you can e- even shell out quality in 20 minutes, which is not that easy, to be honest. And um, yeah, it's uh, been very interesting to uh, to talk to you, Paul. If someone wants to reach you, do you have a website or or where do you, uh, where do you string at? Where is your shop? Yeah, so I mean, my shop is called... Uh, Racket the Avenue. So the website is actually racket-avenue.co.uk, and that's Racket with a Q because that's the correct way of spelling it. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of secret. No, no, it's not. It's Q. So Racket Avenue, Racket-Avenue is 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 my shop uh, website address. Um, I do have a secondary one which actually punches through that. So for for email. It's uh, the Racket Stringer, again with the Q, or one word, .co.uk, which is uh, one which I, I've still got, but I don't use as much now I've moved into my shop. So you're free to, to put them in either of those directions. Obviously, for, for courses, erfa-stringers.co.uk for our site, the UK site, .com for the main site. Great. I will put all these in the description on uh, on the various different uh, channels. I will upload this, so should be there as well. All right. Thanks a lot, Paul. I, oh, thank I, you. you have anything else to add? You- I, I I don't think there is. I'm just trying to think of, of, of things. I don't, I don't think there is, to be honest. What I would say is the stringing teams. We're all you know. We all know each other. We're all friendly with each other. Um, we all work well together. You know, the Wimbledon team is the biggest team. It's evolved over the years. You know, it, that is the thing which makes the difference. I'm, I'm sure you may have had the same thing in your life as well. But in my life, when, when you have a good group of people, a good team, things work very well and they work very smoothly. If things aren't quite right, then it just doesn't work as well. I'd like to think at the moment, you know, we've, we've got a very, very good team. We all know each other, we all respect each other, um, we all work together to, to have that final, that end goal of, you know, hopefully delivering those champions up to the uh, up to the top steps to get the trophy at the end. Yeah, it must be important to have a good dynamic when you're in a pretty tight room. I mean, I guess it, it got a bit bigger from what I heard, but it is, uh, you're spending a lot of time together, so you need to, you need to have a good good atmosphere in there. Yeah, no, definitely. There's always some good camaraderie going on. Um, obviously, we have various different nationalities. So we'll have Italians, we have uh, some Spanish, we have some Czech, we have some Dutch, um, we have a Swiss guy, and obviously we have some 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 British guys as well. So we do have a real mix of it. Uh, and actually, I think that's one thing which helps because one, you know, we do have an, a little bit extra with the languages if there's a bit of an issue. Some of those players know some of their own nationality players. You know, it all helps with the mix, all helps to, to bond it and make a great team, to be honest. Yeah, I can imagine. It's uh, it's um, fun to be able to share that kind of passion for, for tennis at some point, although it's a job as well, of course, and, and to be able to travel and, and hopefully enjoy one or two pints together at least. Oh, definitely. Do you ever get to Wimbledon? I've been there once. I want to go more times, uh, obviously. Uh, but it's it's a yeah beautiful tournament, of course, and and uh, 
Uh, I really enjoyed myself. There was a sunny day as well. I saw some good matches. Actually had the breakfast with Prince Albert, thanks to <laughs> to a friend of mine who arranged oh. it. So it was good. So we had, could walk from the backside onto the court, uh, which was nice. I didn't have to stand in line or do anything weird. So that, that was good. That was a good memory. Well, if, uh, hopefully, you know, next year we'll be in a position where we will be there. Um, you know, if you do get there or, you know, there is a possibility of I can try and get you there, then, uh, you know, if you're interested, send me a message beginning of the year, something like that, if, we, if you don't speak beforehand, and I'll see what I can do. Even if I can't get you actually into the ground, we can certainly try and get you into the stringing room and then obviously you know you can come and meet the guys yeah it would be great it would or, be you know, very do another nice. article what you, whatever you want to do um so you know bear that in mind i'm sure you uh i'm sure you will very good no i, I really appreciate that i think it would be great to be able to uh, spend some time uh, in the stringing room and obviously as you know i'm a huge tennis nerd and also <laughs> a stringing nerd these days yeah. so I'm, i would really be happy to do that yeah well well, let's see what, uh, hopefully, like I said, we'll be, we're, everything will be back to normal for next year and then uh, we can take it from there. Um, I've only got one other request. Um, if you do include any links, can you also include um, the Apollo Leisure link? They are the company which runs Wimbledon uh, and I'm sure they will be appreciative if, I, if you could just include either their name somewhere or their link. Could you yeah, do yeah, that? I can, of course. People ask me about uh, the head three-in-one machine all the time so I think okay. uh, I, I think I can add something there because I've um, they're the ones I know who sell it I probably other uh, retailers as well so I'll, I'll happily add that excellent so I mean if you haven't got it their address is Apollo leisure or one word uk. yeah my, my buddy who he's uh, he's from the UK who lives here in Malta he's actually ordering stuff there uh, okay. from time and I usually like pile on if there's something I need. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. So, thank you very much and uh, yeah, have a good rest of the day. Yeah, same to you. Have a nice weekend and uh, stay safe. I'll certainly try. Thank you. Bye All now. Right. Take care. Ciao, ciao. Bye.